Man, you're getting killed out there. Tell me about it. I feel like Rocky after 15 rounds with Apollo Creed. Speaking of Rocky, did you know that Sylvester Stallone wrote the first draft of the movie in only three days? Did you know that Sylvester Stallone permanently flattened out his knuckles from punching the side of beef? What about Burgess Meredith? He had lived his line in the audition, which landed him the role of Mickey. Or that a destitute Sylvester Stallone turned down $350,000 because the studio didn't want him starring in it? Well, you can find this out and much, much more by listening to Rocky Minute, the fan podcast that covers the Rocky movies one minute at a time. You can find us on DuelingGenre.com. Now get back out there and knock this bum out. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character in a great story. I'm Joe Dorowski, and this week I'm joined by Hannah Rogers to discuss Jane Villanueva from the TV show Jane the Virgin. Welcome, Hannah. Hi, thanks for having me. So glad to have you on, and I'm very glad that you recommended this show because it was not one that I had watched beforehand. Uh, for any listeners who are unfamiliar, Jane the, uh, Jane the Virgin began airing on the CW in 2014, and it tells the story of Jane Villanueva, who becomes pregnant even though she's a virgin. Uh, we don't have a Phantom Menace situation. There was an artificial insemination accident with her gynecologist. We're discussing the pilot, which was called Chapter One, and was written by Jenny Snyder Ehrman and directed by Brad Silberling. And this originally aired on October 13th, 2014, and it stars Gina Rodriguez as Jane Gloriana Villanueva. So, Hannah, this one was your recommendation. Uh, how did you come to the series Jane the Virgin? So, uh, I watch a lot of CW television uh, on and off, uh, and it seemed like a dumb premise whenever I first heard about it. And then I watched the trailer and I thought, oh, this actually seems kind of good. And then I watched it and I was like, oh, no, this is really good. Um, and it's one of the only two shows I've ever convinced my boyfriend to binge watch. Um, the other one being Good Omens. And I actually liked it so <laughs> much that I uh, taught it uh, in a mystery fiction class because uh, Jane the Virgin is a telenovela adaptation, but it plays with a lot of genre tropes, uh, including mystery, uh, and kind of like, kind of takes things from like sensation novels of the 19th century. Um, and my students really loved it. Uh, I actually had one of the smartest papers I've ever read by a student written about Jane the Virgin. I've had a couple students write papers about it, which is how I was kind of aware of it. Um, it just hadn't really entered my pop culture consciousness very much and that's not a knock on it there's just too much tv no like there's there's too much to really have a finger or you know on on everything that that's being put out there um but for my intro to writing class uh when I, whenever i have to teach that one of the first papers i give them so that it's, they're writing on something they're interested in i say tell me about something you're a fan of uh and why you know just let's start generating some writing and it's not gonna be an onerous assignment where you gotta go look up a deadly disease or anything like that just tell me something you love uh and i've had more than one student who wrote about jane the virgin so i knew there was an audience that was devoted to this that they were writing about this as their favorite tv show uh, but i hadn't gotten around to watching it until you had asked if we could do uh this this topic for for the episode and i watched the pilot and i can tell you right now my wife and i are gonna be watching the show <laughs> 
we'll be making our way through it because I need to know what happens next after this pilot. Oh, so you're going to be mad at me if I spoil future episodes. I mean, I've read multiple student papers, so I know some of the twists and turns. Like, even if, if I, I don't really remember the names of the characters from the student papers now as I'm watching the show, I know what some of the, the, the plot points are going to be. Um, I will, so, so don't worry about that. But I will say that the worst thing I've ever done, probably, is I was at um, a party and someone asked me about Jane the Virgin and I thought they'd seen the whole thing because this spoiler was like, I don't know, two years old now or whatever, but it's like the big plot twist that caused a lot of people to stop watching the show. And I spoiled it for a person because she was behind and I felt really bad. So <laughs> I'll try not to do that. Too. I, I appreciate that. Uh, and for our listeners, because they may want to go watch the show after we have this discussion, uh, you know, right now when we did our good place episode, I think we did the first two episodes and we said, all we're talking about, are these first two episodes of The Good Place. So listeners, don't worry. If you're going to go watch the show, go watch the show. And then you can come back and listen to this episode after just two episodes. Um, so for this one, we are going to be focusing on uh, the pilot uh, for our discussion. Uh, a little bit of trivia. The series was developed for American television by Jenny Snyder Ehrman, who wrote the pilot episode. And it is a loose adaptation. That's the description I always saw when I was looking up stuff about this. It is a loose adaptation of a Venezuelan telenovela called Juana la Virgen. Uh, and telenovelas are big deals in Latin American countries. I lived in Mexico uh, and I saw the impact that a very popular telenovela can have on people's viewing habits. <laughs> and it was intense. Uh, like walking down the street when it was starting, it was like hearing the theme song in stereo. Because <laughs> the theme song was coming out of, it seemed, so many of the houses uh, as we're, for, for popular telenovelas when we were walking down the street. Um, and Jane the Virgin ran for five seasons uh, and aired its series finale on June 19th, 2019. I'm saying that in the past tense because I'm pretty sure this episode of the podcast is going to drop after that has happened, even though at the time of recording, that's still a few episodes or a few weeks away. So you can't spoil the finale, I guess. <laughs> Hannah. <laughs> well, actually, there were spoilers leaked, so I maybe possibly could, <gasps> but I definitely won't do that because I'm not mean. <laughs> Oh, spoiler culture. That's the kind of thing you would do an entire episode on over on your podcast, the Vox Podcast, talking about actually, spoilers, right? Actually, I believe that you were on our episode about spoilers. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't remember what episode number it was for you, but I know we did. I, I did go over there to talk about spoilers. Um, and so with telenovelas, there are lots of plot twists. And this in adapting the style of telenovela is going to engage in... Um, wild swings of uh, I would I'm going to assume like I've only watched the pilot, but I'm just going to assume like who is interested in whom romantically. We're going to learn res- revelations about people's past. You said there's mystery elements. There's probably going to be MacGuffins that people are trying to track down at certain points. Those sorts of things. Yeah, is that all. Yeah, fit into the world of Jane the Virgin. Yeah, like amnesia, evil twins, mistaken identity, uh, grand conspiracy, love triangles are all common tropes of telenovelas. Um. And Jane the Virgin is very self-aware about this. Like in the pilot, she's sitting down with her family watching telenovelas. Uh, they're, they're Venezuelan Americans. Uh, and she says, like when this happens to her, uh, she's like, oh, I'm, my life is in a telenovela. And she actually like has visions of 
of being in a telenovela at a certain point, right? Right, yeah. Or someone from a telenovela talking to her. Uh, so, like, this isn't, uh, like, it's embracing it, but it's doing it in that kind of self-aware, postmodern way of, like, okay, we're, we're doing this, guys, but we all know it's a little ridiculous and we're in on it with you as we're telling you the story and you're enjoying it. It's giving you a license to enjoy it in that kind of like slightly distance way that you don't feel like you're uh, being swept up in something that's just silly. It's knowledgeably silly or so, you know, self-aware in its silliness. Yeah. Jane, the Virgin is very much like into its romantic comedy genre roots as well, which I, I think you can get from the pilot with the love triangle being set up. Well, actually it's more of a love, quadrangle maybe even a hexagon if you add in some like other random characters between uh jane the main character and then her fiance michael and then the man who turns out to be the father of her baby Raphael. but Raphael also has an evil wife who might not be so evil named petra who's also sleeping with Raphael's best friend oh, in the pilot she's evil <laughs> she she's actually my favorite character by the uh, the end of the first season. Uh, so she changes. Okay. Well, I'm a lot. very intrigued to see how that happens. Cause in the pilot, she's, she's not a good person. <laughs> uh, like what, what is so great about Jane, the Virgin, um, is that, you know, you might like watching the pilot think, Oh, I see some stereotypes here with Petra being like the evil rich wife who wants to come between the heroine and like the romantic rich boy like kind of figure or you might look at Jane's mom and think like she's like kind of irresponsible woman who never grows up but like as each episode unfolds it's kind of like lost actually where you get these flashbacks where you learn more about the characters and their backstories and their motivations and all of them are fully developed um so it's it's really good about that and it's especially good at drawing complex female characters that don't fall into like the good girl bad girl like dynamic oh okay well there's a lot to look forward to then but before we get to our spoiler uh summary of the pilot episode we want to thank you for downloading this episode and listening we want to thank those uh of you who support us on patreon if you would like to support us financially we invite you to go to patreon.com slash protagonist and support our show with at least a dollar per month all supporters on patreon at any level receive special access to our quick casts which are shorter episodes which we break down newly released films trailers books or tv shows and we also give monthly updates on our fantasy box office all patrons who support us with five dollars per month or more get to choose a topic for us to discuss and some of our favorite episodes have been patron requests where texts that we didn't have on our radar uh get requested and we find a new great tv shows movies or books and uh and new characters to talk about all right here's our long summary for jane the virgin jane has decided to wait until marriage to have sex in a flashback we see her grandmother reminding her of this from a very young age when the series opens uh she's now 23 years old and working at a hotel she's saving money for her studies to become a teacher and also saving uh up for her planned marriage to her boyfriend michael jane's grandma and mom love watching spanish telenovelas and jane has watched with them which she says has given her kind of a distorted view of love and relationships the hotel is owned by rafael solano we find out that rafael kissed jane once a few years ago when she worked at a country club but he never called her back rafael and his now wife uh want to have a child but he had cancer and his cancer treatments left him impotent but his wife petra uh saved some of his pre-cancer sperm and so that still still might be an option for them rafael's sister is luisa and she is a doctor 
Um, and we have the scene at the hotel where kind of all their paths are crossing right before the inciting incident of the series uh, is about to happen. And so Louisa goes home uh, and she finds out that her wife is having an affair, which understandably upsets her. In the morning, Louisa is very tired and an emotional mess. And she goes to the hospital uh, and a nurse tells her that she has to go do a pap smear in one room and an artificial insemination in the other you can see where this is going. <laughs> she knocks on one door and asks if the patient is ready for the insemination. Jane had fallen asleep, but she jerks awake saying, yeah, I'm here. I'm here. Uh, and, and you, you know what's going to happen. Uh, in the other room, Raphael's wife, Petra is waiting. Louisa, who again is the doctor. She realizes the mistake that she made in the first room that she gave the sample of Raphael's sperm to Jane. Uh, but it's too late to do anything about it. So she fakes a procedure for Petra. And because it only had a 20% chance of success, she hopes nothing happens to Jane, that she doesn't get pregnant. But of course, Jane becomes pregnant. Uh, her mother, who had Jane at 16 years old, takes Jane to the doctor after Jane uh, passes out. The doctor immediately says, oh, Jane, you're pregnant. Uh, the tests say this very clearly. Jane says, that's not possible. And the doctor's like, oh, you are pregnant. Jane, again, insists this is impossible. Comedy ensues. Uh, then Jane goes to uh, tell Michael, her boyfriend, but when she walks into the house, he proposes to her before she can say anything. Uh, then she tells him what has happened to her. Uh, then their families arrive for an engagement party and more comedy ensues. Uh, now, Louisa, again, the doctor, she tells Raphael and Petra what happened. Uh, Jane is considering not having the baby and is getting advice from her mom and her grandma about this. She's just really soul searching about what she, what her choice is going to be. Raphael and Petra know that this is the only sample of uh, Raphael's sperm that they have. So uh, they hope that she will have the baby. Petra finds out that Jane works at the hotel and um, has Raphael go talk to her. Um, and Jane says she's not ready to have her life plans upended because of a doctor's mistakes. And he says he understands Petra, who at this moment we learn is having an affair, but she's upset that Raphael didn't play the cancer card to convince Jane to keep the baby. And he's like, the cancer card? That's not a thing. Uh, Jane's uh, mother, uh, just as a like subplot that kind of gets introduced briefly at the end of the episode, Jane's mother sees Jane's father who has been absent for their lives since Jane was a, or since Jane's mother was a pregnant teenager. Uh, now Jane goes to see Michael. And since their last proposal was interrupted by the unexpected pregnancy announcement, she now proposes to him and tells him that she plans to have the baby and then give it to Petra and Raphael and uh, asks if Michael will marry her. He, uh, he says, yes. And I can only imagine that it's smooth sailing from here on out for those two lovebirds. The end of the pilot. Team episode. Michael forever. <laughs> Because it's smooth sailing for those two, right? Right? Uh, That's what works. What happens in telenovelas? Yes. Uh, they live a happy, long life with a cat and a large family. Okay. All right. Uh, you got to start with this kind of absurd premise. Uh, I mean, the show is called Jane the Virgin. And in the pilot episode, she is now pregnant. I did do a quick search, like, has this ever happened? And the, the, from what I saw, the most identified thing is sperm mix-ups and lawsuits revolving around sperm mix-ups at hospitals, but never someone who wasn't trying to become pregnant being impregnated by a hospital, uh, at least from what some other people's internet research had learned. Uh, so you just kind of have to take that opening premise and go with it. And the tone of the show, I think, does a really good job of making this all acceptable, even as you're kind of like, this would never happen. You're like, it's happening and that's fine. Uh, they do enough work to set it up and to establish the emotional state of the doctor and 
uh, the stakes of everyone's uh, situation that you can see how this mix up happens. Uh, even the little touch of having Jane having, you know, fallen asleep in the, in the room and missing what the doctor says when the doctor comes in, but popping up and saying, yeah, 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 I'm here. <laughs> um, there's, you know, just enough work done to make you accept the premise. And then also the general exaggerated tone of the, you know, of the world, right? Like every time you see a Jane, the Virgin episode, you're going to know you're watching Jane, the Virgin episode because of the tone that is being established here in the pilot. I think it all works well enough that you're going to accept this. this yeah. Premise. The show is super great at being reflexive about its genre. And also like Jane, uh, is like not just into telenovela romances, but also into romance novels. We like find out a little bit in this episode and it's expanded on later. And this uh, show does a really good job of like playing with the form of the novel. Even the fact that it's titled chapter one and each episode is titled chapter two, chapter three, etc. Like kind of gives an idea of like being part of a longer like novel. Um, there's actually one episode, mm-hmm. no spoilers, that actually like pretends uh, and uses like elements of a novel really specifically to kind of like put you in that genre, even though it's on television. Oh, I like that. Uh, yeah. Like, um, one of the character moments that we get that I thought was um, done most well is uh, the younger in one of the flashbacks, the younger Jane is asked like, what does she want to do? And she says like the brave me or the safe me. And she says like, well, the safe me is going to be a teacher and the brave me would be a writer um, where you, you know, you see like right then, I think it does a very interesting thing of showing like two different paths that she could take. And we see, cause that's a flashback. We see she's on the safer path. Like she is studying to become a teacher. Um, but she kind of wishes that she'd be brave enough to go to go be the writer, try and try and make a career out of writing, which is it takes a lot of bravery to go down that I path mean, because there's not a big safety net. Yeah, especially <laughs> whenever you're in Jane's financial situation, because the pilot sets up she and her boyfriend Michael slash fiance are are in debt. Um, she's not done with school yet. She has to work to get through school. Her mother was a single mother, um, and also her grandmother uh, lost her husband uh when zoe was a teenager or perhaps before and you know like it's just you know three like generations of young women living in a working class situation so of course you'd want a stay job as a teacher because to be a writer it takes a lot of effort and risk um to do it full time yeah there's a lot of unsteadiness before it would ever become steady if, if, and there's no guarantee that it ever would become a steady, you know, paycheck of, you know, residuals or sales or anything like that. I mean, there's a, there's a reason like why a lot of writers aren't full-time writers and kind of do it as a side. Yeah. Uh, But I, I just like that idea for Jane. I thought it was a very savvy bit of writing to show that in the flashback and then, the reader or the viewer immediately knows, Oh, she's on the safe path. Yeah. Um, and know that there's still, you know, you, you almost become hopeful immediately for another, you know, course for her. Like you want her to, to, to try, you know, the braver, the braver choice. Cause, uh, and the actress did a really good job. What's her Gina Rodriguez? Yes. Was it? Yeah. That and plays Jane? Gina Rodriguez. And she's so good. Um, like she has a lot, I mean, she does a lot of dramatic lifting in this episode as, she goes through the struggle about what she's going to do after being put in the situation, but she's put through the ringer um, throughout the entire series. And she's also been in things like 
uh, Annihilation and Someone Great on Netflix. And she's just fantastic. She um, was like the first like actress on the CW in a really long time, if ever, to like get like award recognition for her role on a CW show. Uh, I guess fun fact. Oh, I think I left that out of the trivia. Yeah, she won. Uh, was it a Golden uh, Globe? I think so, yeah. Um, the, like, she yeah. and um, the, like, star of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend um, are, are, like, and the show Crazy Ex-Girlfriend are, like, the two kind of actresses' shows that, like, brought prestige to the CW, and which is why they keep, keep getting renewed uh, based on quality rather than ratings, because the CW can kind of afford to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was, I was going to say like her performance when she talks about being a writer, like that is just, it was such strong acting that you wanted to tell the person, like, yeah. Oh, go do that. Cause you clearly want that so much right now. I see it, but I also understand why you're making the safer choice uh, in your life. And it's, it just introduces tension right from the get go. Like you think all the tension would be about, uh, her, her unexpected pregnancy when she's still a virgin. Uh, but I, I'd loved that bit of writing and that performance, uh, that just added more depth to the character. Yeah. The pilot does a really good job of setting up who Jane is and what motivates her beyond whether or not she's going to have sex before she gets married and what she's going to do about the situation she finds herself in. And I think, um, like you hear the premise and, certainly there could be a show that just runs with that premise and plays it out comedically or, you know, whatever it may be. And, um, the, this, this show, I think you get a good mix of drama and comedy that happened. Like I laughed out loud at some parts, but you also feel for the, like I met these characters for 45 minutes or, you know, 43 minutes probably <laughs> for, for an hour long drama. Uh, but I like, I, I got invested enough in the pilot, which is, uh, that's, that's good work for a pilot to be able to do that. Um, a lot of pilots, it's like, here's the taste of what's going to come. And we hope you like this taste enough to become invested. And I already felt uh, and you know it, that you're going to become invested in future episodes, but I already felt invested uh, in these characters, right? Right. Yeah, from the I would. I would say that along with shows like Lost or The Good Place, uh, and I realize I just keep naming my favorite shows. It's you know it's actually a good pilot um, when a lot of pilots are not, um, and that that kind of consistency of the writing continues on throughout the entire series, um, or and it and it gets it gets better too. Um, because they're they're able to play more with the telenovela aspects, they um, are able to dig deeper in characters, and they use like that that flashback that you like so much. They use flashbacks um, to like establish characters and like build on their character without kind of you know like rewriting what we already know about the characters. And they also use the narrator, who is a character in and of himself, to great effect. Uh, <laughs> Usually great. Yeah, the the, the over, voiceover narration was excellent, uh, which I think that's a it's a trickier thing than people realize. Like voiceover narration can very quickly become an anchor or a burden to a series, uh, but this had for me just the right amount of uh, uh, both like the the actual amount of narration, like it wasn't constant throughout the episode, but also uh, the right tone from the narration uh like it wasn't always uh pr- providing uh backstory that the writers couldn't find a way to work in otherwise and it also wasn't just landing a joke every time that they popped in and and when it's either one of those two you know those ends of the spectrum it starts to become like uh 
like to one note. And I thought the, the narration was, was um, actually a strength of the episode. Yeah. And uh, actually one of my favorite parts of the subsequent episodes, which I know is a dumb thing to enjoy um, is actually the recaps um, of the previous episodes, because the narrator does those recaps and it kind of basically is a mini protagonist podcast uh, summary um, where he just sums up all the crazy twists and turns that have taken place in the past couple episodes to catch up viewers. And with, with a, a good telenovela there, there will be so many of those and they will be so crazy. Yeah. I, I've watched, you know, the first couple seasons, um, I, I think at least two times and there's so many twists that I've forgotten. Some of them happen. <laughs> uh because you know like the twists like range from oh i've been artificially inseminated to uh a girl stole my phone and did this mean thing um or something simple it also like this show is also really great at balancing like the crazy telenovela like big drama moments with like the small dramas Okay, that's actually something I wanted to touch on. Um, In shows with like big premises and and massive plot twists that happen, what uh, I think stakes can become problematic for a show. And I've only watched the pilot, but like when you're when your opening stakes are an accidental artificial insemination uh, and uh, of your protagonist, um, I, I think. There's the temptation of oh we've always got to one up and go bigger and broader and after a while it, it you know the the whole structure falls apart because of that but it sounds like you're saying that they they include other stakes that keep the show a little more grounded and anchored yeah I, I think that like the the opinion uh, of the show by viewers kind of splits around the third season because there are like some tropes that kind of like get repeated or like plot lines that happen that might be like totally off from the show. We like thought we knew, um, which is, I guess is as big as I can keep it, but like, but you know, like there's a <laughs> lot of drama to play with, uh, in the first, uh, season that's set up in the pilot for example, uh, at the end of the pilot, we see, uh, Michael, uh, who is a police detective investigating Raphael's hotel for something that we don't really know much about. Mm-hmm. Uh, taking photos in a window and we meet his like commanding officer. So like there's a mystery plot line that's set up in the last few minutes um, that we learn more about. There's also of course the love triangle between Jane Raphael and Michael again, team Michael forever. Um, <laughs> uh, which, you know, I, I realize it's silly to have a stake in characters lives, but why do we watch and discuss them if we don't, um, you know, yeah, there's, I, there's, I'm, this is probably going to be episode number 246 of a podcast that talks every week about <laughs> characters in stories. So this is not the place to feel embarrassed <laughs> about that at all. True. True. Uh, my, you know, my, uh, there's also, you know, like questions of like how Jane's family is going to like negotiate Jane's choice and also like how they negotiate their different beliefs because Jane's grandmother believes that it's wrong to have sex before marriage and is a very devout Catholic. Jane uh, is like conflicted um, about like what her grandmother believes and is more modern though. She's made the decision to not have sex before marriage. Jane's mother thinks that I, I believe her words in the pilot are, Ma, this is stupid when uh, 
Jane's grandmother is trying to teach her about purity. So like there, there's already these like everyday conflicts. And then of course there's the setup of who is Jane's father and what will be like after he comes back into her life after 23 years of being away. Uh, it's amazing. Actually, he's a great character. Oh, that I could talk yeah, there about definitely, that. <laughs> there are definitely seeds being planted in this pilot where, you know, that at least for the first season, they've got a path somewhat laid out you know like okay this is this is something we're gonna revisit like uh this isn't just uh you know a reference that's being dropped like okay here's a plot point that will come and in the pilot it may only get like you know 30 seconds of screen time but you can already feel where some of this is going to be going and honestly like even without the big telenovela plots i would just watch these characters hang out and negotiate stuff and learn more about them because like i said uh you know People like Petra are not exactly what they appear, um, and they turn out to be really interesting. And uh, you don't really get to see it in this episode, but you start to long for her and Jane to be friends. Uh, it takes a while. It's very you, unexpected you, to hear. <laughs> maybe maybe you'll feel differently, and you'll tell me about it later. But yes, yeah, I'll let you know. Uh, <laughs> so I start watching uh, more. Um, I also wanted to touch on the. Uh, like the the tone of the series itself, uh, and and I, I kind of acknowledged earlier, like I think some you you accept some of the premise, uh, because of this self awareness about the tropes that is very present, but it's also in in the editing and in the pacing of everything, you get a show where you just kind of think get swept along in the plot lines, uh, but in a way that I think the viewer is eager to be swept along because they make this world uh, feel, feel kind of like, I mean, it's a strange world, but it's also kind of a fun world to go visit, right? The, the way that the editing and the voiceover and the flashbacks and all those tied together to make um, something that feels very different than, you know, your crime shows that are over on NBC or CBS or your traditional half hour sitcoms like this is its own thing. Uh, and I think it's very successfully building all of that right away in the pilot. Yeah. And I, I think that like, uh, something that is in the pilot for a hot second, but we don't really get to see that grows is like the magical realism aspect that adds like another genre layer to this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you were going to try and define the genre of this, what, what would you do? <laughs> like, like what, what are some of the labels that could successfully be applied to this? Uh, as we know that it's going to probably be at least a half dozen that you could put on. Well, uh, if I were going to be really annoying, I would say that uh, Todorov, um, a theorist who'd worked with genre, would say that since it breaks generic conventions, it's not a genre piece. It's actually high art because <laughs> it's doing something else. Uh, but since I'm not annoying, I will say that uh, it's definitely... <laughs> Let's just say it's very postmodern and embracing lots yeah, of things. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very, it's very t telenovela-esque. Um, and it, it definitely has that feel because... A, like a feature of telenovelas is that like unlike they, they are like kind of like soap operas in like their generic conventions but unlike soap operas they don't go on forever and ever and ever they like have a beginning yeah, they're, they're telling a contained story they beginning and end, right and jane the virgin makes it clear that there is a beginning and an end um and it won't just go on and on and on like Grey's anatomy or something um and I, I would definitely say that the tone 
is like I guess something we've come up with for TV shows in the last like 20 years in describing them a dramedy because it, it does balance mm-hmm. the elements of comedy and drama pretty well but it's always on more on the lighthearted side than the dramatic side yes and i mean here in the pilot you get hints of like a crime show because the michael is a detective right yeah. uh, that was like I, I think you get that from the voiceover but you see him like looking at the pictures uh you see some of what feels like it, um some of the shots it remind me of like a veronica mars yeah kind of scene and you definitely <laughs> wait, get... wait when we're seeing his world over there you definitely get way more of that um in the next couple of episodes too um so yeah um that's like kind of that was kind of my justification for teaching it in a mystery fiction class and i was also interested in how you know the cw in particular um is coded as like well not exactly anymore because it has all the superhero shows but it was coded as like a network for teenage girls uh Mm -hmm. and jane the virgin you know um is a show that people would assume would skew female. Um, and, you know, the, it also plays with like these mystery elements and wrongly, wrongly, but, um, you know, mystery fiction itself is sometimes coded as more masculine. Um, so it was interesting to see how they decided to mix those like, you know, romantic genres, which is seen as more feminine with the masculine on this particular TV show. Um, and how they like integrate these two plots together. Yeah. Um, also, obviously there's the romance angle. Uh, that's, you know, very apparent um, yeah. from, from the beginning, but I, I thought it also successfully um, introduced kind of the family drama, like a little more Gilmore girls esque, right. Yes. Family drama in how uh, the, the grandmother, mother and Jane, um, you know, their interactions and they actually like layered in some really interesting reveals in this 45 minutes where when Jane is unexpectedly pregnant and is thinking about an abortion and she talks to her mom, like, did, did you ever think about, you know, not having me? Um, like it gets raw uh, in, in a way that felt legitimate for the show, but also was not the light fluffy stuff that you see in several of the other scenes. Um, so, so like it's, it's simultaneously distinct, but it's still part of the whole uh, within there. Sometimes when you get those, like uh, a show that is more light and fluffy goes for the heavy drama, it feels a little out of place and it's like, who's writing for the Emmy right now. Um, but I, I thought they successfully kept it all as one whole. And then like you get the further reveal that the very religious grandmother had actually told uh, Jane's mother to have an abortion and Jane's mother had refused to do it and, and had Jane. Um, and th- then it like, you understand like the mo- grandmother has guilt forever having voiced that, you know, forever have having pushed uh, Jane's mother in that way, which suddenly expands that character that very easily could have been a very one note, super conservative religious figure. Yeah. And she's definitely developed more um, throughout the show as well. But like, you know, despite like, the fact that Jane decides to keep the baby. Um, this actually like is a very like pro-choice episode and discussing her options and like what she can do. And the show later does discuss um, another unplanned pregnancy and like has like different outcomes. So like there, there's like a lot of like attention paid in the series to like women's health and choices and like their sexuality as well and and how sexuality and religion overlap and you know there's so much television that i might be missing something it was like very interesting to see 
like a show that like took uh, someone's faith very seriously and their decision to stay virgin seriously without making it, uh, as you kind of said, like a punchline. Uh, well, a punchline or, or making the character a yeah. hypocrite, which is the other go-to yeah. move for for religious yes. characters, is that they're immediately total hypocrites and they're the villains of the piece because they're uh, presenting uh, a form of religion but not really living it. Yeah, and also, and also, like I think the other kind of like stereotype is like um, being shy or like not understanding your sexuality or being quote unquote, and I hate this uh, like term, like frigid. And it's very obvious that, like, that is not who Jane is, and she knows what she wants. Yeah, I like that how you put that, like, the overlapping of sexuality and religion, that both are part of her character. And it's not uh, that one makes her bad, which is so <laughs> often the binary that gets presented. Um, and it go like that binary gets presented strangely both ways in, in our culture. Like the religion is all good and the sexuality is all bad or the free sexuality is all good and the religious people are all hypocrites and therefore bad, right? Like those are the binaries that we often see pitted against each other. And at least in the pilot that I've seen, uh, there's a very interesting layering that's happening. Yeah. And there's a lot of interesting discussions of faith um, throughout the series. In fact, um, sometimes I wanted more, uh, and you know, uh, last time I was on, I was talking about, you know, about Daniel Deronda and we talked about how occasionally people would get philosophical and it'd be like, come on, I want to move the plot along. But in the case of Jane mm -hmm. the Virgin on occasion, like, because these like stories are about these characters, everyday lives and the struggle, um, with faith in the contemporary moment is such a real thing for so many people. Uh, it was like really interesting to watch um, in a very immediate way. Um, what do you think? Oh, how do I want to phrase this question? <laughs> like how plugged into are you to the fandom of Jane the Virgin? Uh, I, I don't post but I do mm -hmm. read some of the forums and I've read loads of the interviews and like TV websites because it's what I do whenever I don't work on my dissertation. So okay. uh, I was, I guess my question is this is a very eclectic show. Uh, and I've only watched the pilot. I think there's a lot to praise here, but I also think this might be kind of a hard sell to like tell an audience this is what the show is going to be. So for the audience that has found it and really resonates with it, what is, what do you think are some of the aspects of the show that they have latched onto most that have made them, uh, you know, into the kind of fans that are engaging with this larger fan community of the series? So uh, definitely the romance. Um, I, I mean, you can just tell from the pilot that there are going to be team Michael people and team Raphael people. And what you learn as you watch the show might flip how you feel. Uh, there is great contention between me and my sister because we disagree. Uh, <laughs> uh, which, you know, like it's, it's interesting, right? Because like they're two very different people and kind of Raphael is like the stereotypical telenovela hero. Who's like rich and owns a hotel and is her boss. And um, Michael is like working class, and they've been together for a while and have a history and like an actual relationship, not one magical day 
Uh, and so like, you know, those, those are two like interesting things like that are kind of pit against each other. And as the series goes on, uh, the creators of the show play with like the fantasy reality of like relationships with both of those characters. Um, for my friends, uh, we really appreciate that. Like, it's not just a romance, but like the show is reflexive about it. Um, with no spoilers about what this is about, Jane ends up like talking to a professor about romance novels. And the professor says, well, you can't just have a march to a wedding. You need to like say something. Um, while simultaneously the show is thinking about romance and, you know, saying something beyond these two characters should get together. Um, I, I think that also uh, the female fandom appreciates just how complex the characters are and the representation on the show. Uh, the show also taps into like a lot of contemporary um, political uh, s- stuff. Like you can see in the pilot whenever it first aired, Louisa is married to a woman and there's an asterisk um, and a comment made with text on the screen that says in some states, uh, because that was the situation at the time it was filmed. And since then, they've gone on to talk about immigration and feminism and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, So there's like a lot of like political commentary. Uh, I, I I mean, it's just a very smart show so there's like a lot to talk about including like the mystery plot lines that you can get into uh so it is kind of a hard sell because it's it's not like a straightforward superhero movie in that you market it but it's really good well I mean, or any like straightforward yeah. single genre show where like yeah. you, you see promos in, you know every fall like coming to cbs oh that one is a crime show yep. okay i know what that show is oh that one's a lawyer show that one's a medical show like we we know what the generic conventions are and it makes um, you know, as, as flexible as genre boundaries have become, there's still a reason that those labels are used in marketing and also, and it's not just at the ease of marketing. It's also to tell the audience, here's what you're getting. Yeah. And audiences say, Oh, I like my sci-fi shows or I like my fantasy shows or my superhero shows, whatever it may be. And and therefore they're going to gravitate to that thing. And I was trying to think of how does this show get marketed? Yeah. It's not, <laughs> not well. Um, always, uh, uh, though, like, I, I think word of mouth really helped it a lot. Um, and, and I think the CW just... I, I'm wondering if this is... Oh, uh, you go ahead. Oh, the CW, I think, just accepted that it's not going to be a super high-rated show for them, but it will do critically well. And they just made it. Well. And I'm wondering if, if this is one that, um, like, streaming services got it more seasons than it might have otherwise. I can't... Like a, a... Yeah, I can't confirm that, but I'm sure it helped because the Netflix and CW in particular have a deal um that has boosted some of their shows uh, and made some of them possible and actually i know for sure riverdale um actually had its viewing audience jump after its first season appeared on netflix which like in between seasons of shows it almost never happens that way usually the numbers go down yeah i think we're definitely in a like a transitional period in how networks are going to be defining success of a show and it's not just you know uh, day of ratings anymore <laughs> um, because it's not that's not their only stream of income for these shows like having them on Netflix long term is going to be worth more to them than whatever the ratings are from week to week in their first airing on the CW yeah like not the same network or the same genre but Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. on ABC has basically gotten as many seasons as it has gotten not because of viewers but because Disney's basically been like renew this it's Marvel yeah. <laughs> 
yeah, it's it's a very different world uh, than like 1980s, 90s uh, television. I mean, like a simple version of this. Uh, I know Andrew and I talked about this on our recent quick cast, um, but like the Game of Thrones finale, uh, 18 million is a huge number today, but that would have routinely gotten a show canceled within weeks on NBC uh, in the 90s if it had only gotten 18 million viewers. It's like, well, that's that's a failure. <laughs> let's, uh, uh, you know, let, let's let's cancel that. Uh, yet that was like the, what felt like one of the most pervasive aspects of entertainment culture was, oh, the Game of Thrones finale. Everyone, everyone is talking about this. Everyone is watching it. And viewership is just so fractured now. And people have so many different ways that they're consuming entertainment that 18, 18 million is great now. But historically, that's that's a pretty pretty rough number. I mean, actually, I mean, like you know, my favorite show is like The Good Place, and I think that sometimes it it just kind of like hovers between two million and three million viewers. Um, yeah, when it, an episode for, yeah. for its week of air. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah, and that one is. I mean, talk about the way things get to you know get to survive that's basically because nbc wants to be in the michael sure business i think it's the only reason we have three and heading towards four uh seasons of the good place yeah but also it's really good and if i were a network head i oh, would oh, sel- because selfishly, it is the best show on television it is the best show on television i would selfishly renew it again and again and again uh, if i were head of nbc which is probably why i won't make it in the entertainment business but there was a a story floating around about the table read for the season three finale. I'm not going to reveal anything uh, that, you know, any plot from the season three finale of, of uh, the good places uh, table read, but a network exec was there and they teared up a little during the table read because of some of the moments that happened. And then the network exec said, thank you for all the creative people that are involved in this show. And the story is that the Ted Danson then leaned over to one of his castmates and said, that just got a season four. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I know for a fact that the head of the CW really loved Crazy Ex-Girlfriend and Jane the Virgin and Base and a couple of other shows and has basically renewed them because he likes them. Well, I mean, like historically, I so I just uh, wrapped up a book on Cheers uh, with my sister, Kate Dorowski, and that was um, a couple weeks during its first season was the least watched thing on television. Like it was last in the ratings when this was a, a much more contained ecosystem where you could really know who was watching everything. Uh, you know, there no cable uh, yet. And it was the, the NBC exec uh, when it was up for renewal kind of said like, well, do we have anything better? And, everyone in the room is like, no, we really like the quality of the show. It's like, well, let's just, just give it a second season. <laughs> and it became one of the most successful TV shows in history. Uh, but it definitely did not find its audience at the beginning. And I think that's a lesson that, uh, you know, um, for, for networks, uh, for, I think for a long time, the obsession was what is the rating this week? Uh, and, and for a number of reasons uh, and the transformation of the industry, uh, the, the, the um, mindset needs to be now, like what is the outlook for this show for years like is it going to find new audiences on streaming is this going to have a home that uh, or be popular enough on a streaming service that netflix or hulu or amazon would pay for the rights to have the show on their network and and that's a very different outlook than what historically uh television executives have had to have well maybe it would be great if networks would decide to finish their shows and not cancel them on cliffhangers but that'll never happen yeah, that yeah. would really help with the, well, the know, streaming, Netflix, like the binge viewing. 
<laughs> like if, if they know there's a finale of you know even if it's like okay we're we're giving you guys like two more episodes yeah like netflix not <laughs> not doing that anymore nor amazon like amazon canceled one of my favorite shows mozart in the jungle on a huge character cliffhanger and i'm furious it was such good television well, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I mean, okay, we've gone pretty far afield at this point, but let's just keep going. This is, this is more like one of your mocks. Oops. Oops. But um, HBO is doing the uh, a movie to wrap up Deadwood, which I think was cut yeah, 10 something years like ago, that, yeah. eight, eight, 10 years ago. Uh, and now they're doing a movie to wrap up that series. And I can only imagine that it is because of the HBO Go streaming platform that they have greenlit a movie to wrap up a series that they canceled on a cliffhanger a decade ago um, that they they're seeing that there is a different need uh, for, for the storytelling than what they saw a decade ago. Yeah. I, I think that we might see more of that too, or people like imagine the possibilities because agent Carter, the Marvel show that did get canceled by ABC, that was actually really good uh, ended on a cliffhanger. And people think now with Disney plus uh, coming interview there's potential for Haley atwell to reprise her role so i don't know there's there's hope there are things that can be saved i mean brooklyn 99 got saved um (laughs) by nbc so it was not canceled on cliffhanger again they they want to be in the michael sure business i'm very thankful because it's a great show (laughs) yeah we yeah yeah well somehow in the last year i think we've cut, talked about every michael sure show on the protagonist podcast now because we haven't it hasn't dropped yet but we have an episode on the office coming up and i think that was the last one that we hadn't covered yeah well this this show does not have anything to do with michael right. <laughs> circling back to jade the virgin <laughs> um if you were I, I i think we talked some about the aesthetics of the show and some of the plot elements and some of the genre elements but if you're going to try to find jane and I know you have much more to draw on than just the pilot episode. What are some of the descriptions that we would give for Jane? Like off the bat of the pilot, I would say she's clearly smart. She's clearly um, dedicated and, uh, and hardworking. Like those are some of the attributes that we have. She's um, she's loving to her mother and grandma, even though you can sense the classic familial, you know, th- there's the family um, rough edges, you know, grinding against each other in both those relationships you see, but you also sense the love that's there. So those are some of the attributes I see right off the bat. I definitely think, and you can see this with her decision to be safe. She like wants to be in control and plan her life. And in fact, whenever she's angry about getting pregnant, she's mad because she quote, did everything right and still ended up pregnant. Um, which, you know, I think that throughout the series, she like learns that you can't really control everything that happens to you and you just, you know, have to grow and change based on your experiences, good and bad. Um, she, she certainly like is a romantic, uh, as we've said, you know, telenovelas have ruined romance for her. And I think that that can be like a strength and a weakness because well, one, um, as the show like kind of gets into later, uh, the things of romance novels are not necessarily the things you want in your own relationships. Uh, and if you're kind of questioning what I mean by that, you should read the first book of Twilight and decide if you really want to be Edward and Bella and have their dynamic in your life. The answer to that should be no. Um, <laughs> but two, like, you know, uh, like the world doesn't always match up with the fairy tale. Um, so she, you know, learns to deal with that. And she also like, is very smart, but 
uh, as she goes through the series, you know, she expands her horizons and learns new things. And, you know, even by keeping this baby uh, in the first episode and proposing to Michael, she takes a risk. So you can see her, like, bravery kind of, like, move forward uh, as she, like, ends the episode in kind of a triumphant moment. Yeah, I mean, so going back to that earlier conversation that she had, and I'm not trying to make any grand political statements about abortion issues or, or, or women's rights, but for her, in some ways, the safe choice would have been to abort the baby and stay on the path that she had laid out. And the brave choice is to keep the baby and also break the path that she had laid out by proposing to her boyfriend. Like when the boyfriend proposes, one of the first things she says is you're jumping the timeline, like you're moving up the timeline. And so that final moment is... Uh, that monologue that she gives, it, it's her making a braver choice. Um, whereas for a lot of the episode, we'd, we've ha- heard her describing herself as as living the safe choice because that's what's going to get her what she wants. Do you have any final thoughts on the character of Jane or the uh, TV show Jane and the Virgin before yeah, we wrap up? Um, I think that everyone should watch this, uh, even if you don't think it's your cup of tea. Uh, it's a great show. Um, and... I, again, I promise you that Petra will surprise you. Um, she's a great character. Um, you don't have to wait very long to find out that there's more that motivates her than money. Um, and Jane is actually like a really interesting character too, because, you know, she, she's like, this is her story and kind of her buildings room on coming of age narrative. Um, and even though she's kind of an every, person kind of character it put into like strange situations her reactions are also very human and grounded and even if you can't imagine being artificially inseminated you can ima- imagine your reaction to that so uh you know she's a really interesting character to watch um and it's you know a great show full of very different viewpoints about the world but also like very representative of a lot of interesting viewpoints and I think that's all I can say without spoiling anything. I mean, even within uh, like Latino representation, this is one of the only shows I can think of that is specifically saying this it's an yeah. American family, you know, on on TV. I, and some of that I'm sure is because it's adapting a Venezuelan telenovela specifically that they, you know, they made it into a Venezuelan family. But that it is, you know, going to be uh, a different kind of culture than Mexican American and all these, and so it's it's just. Right off the bat, it's like okay, yeah. let's let's see what this brings us. Um, you know this. this and I will say that uh, some of the more interesting plot lines come from learning more about Jane's history uh, and her family history, and like the history of Venezuela through the eyes of Jane's family. So that is in integrated there. Oh, I look forward to seeing that. <laughs> All right, uh, I'm gonna be watching more of this show that I, so I may touch on this in future, uh, quick casts. Uh, and, I, Hannah, I'll reach out to you if I end up liking Petra. More you will. Than I do after the pilot. <laughs> All right. Uh, that is going to wrap up this episode. Thank you for joining us. And thank you, Hannah, for coming on to talk about Jane the Virgin. For show notes and links to all the other great Dueling Genre shows, you can go to DuelingGenre.com. Also, please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in your podcast app of choice, and please leave us a review. That really helps us out. We would like to thank Nick English, who designed our logo, and Scott Tofty, who composed our theme music. If you enjoyed this episode, you might want to go check out episode number 55, when we talked about Grand Hotel, or episode number 181, when we talked about Little Mosque on the Prairie. 
You can reach out uh, to us by emailing feedback at protagonistpodcast.com. We're also on Twitter. You can follow at protagonistpod or at jadorowski. Our producer, Andrew, is at Dizminute. And our Facebook fan page is facebook.com slash protagonist. Thank you again for listening. And we'll be back next week to discuss another great character and a great story. So long. This week I'm joined by How Hannah Rogers. I was I was starting to debate what your last name is. <laughs> Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah. Uh, all right. Okay. <clears throat> Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Protagonist Podcast. Oh, every time I got to re- relaunch, I stu- struggle on the word protagonist. I w- sometimes I wish we renamed this or had named it differently 246 episodes ago.